Would y'all pray with me? Our Father, I thank you again for this time together. Thank you for uh, just letting us gather to worship you, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us this morning, that you would be working in our hearts even now um, to make known the gospel. Lord, I pray that uh, anything I say would be would be you saying it, Lord. Say what, say what you would have said to each one of us. Open each ear to hear what you have for each one of us. And may your Holy Spirit work in our hearts this morning to make Jesus known. That we would submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of our Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we identifiable as the people of God? That's the question this morning. Are we, are we identifiable as the people of God? Do we represent Jesus well? Like can the, the city of Augusta, Georgia, look at Redemption Church and see clearly who God is and what he's like? Can your neighbor look at your life and see clearly who God is and what God has done. Basically, are we helping people to taste and see that the Lord is good? In one of my favorite movies, uh, one of the characters tells a story of uh, when she was growing up. She was a little girl, and her dad always wanted to grow a banana tree. Uh, so, so he ended up getting, I guess, a seed or, or whatever you get to, I don't even know, maybe he just threw a banana in the ground. I don't know what he did, but uh, he planted a banana tree, uh, but, but the soil and the climate where they were, it just wasn't taking, it wasn't working out, and so it just never, it just never happened. Like, eventually some, something came up and some leaves were there, but no bananas actually grew on the tree. But they kept watching for them. They kept watching for the bananas day by day by day. Every morning they'd run out and look. But it just never happened. It was kind of disappointing to the dad because he always wanted to have a banana tree. And so one night she and her mom and her sister went and got a bunch of like plastic fruit from the store. And they ran outside and they tied all these plastic bananas and stuff to this tree. So that when they woke up the dad would be able to see bananas on his banana tree. It's a cute story, but, but also we know, I mean, the sad reality of it is, is that the tree didn't ever bear any real fruit. It was just a tree with some plastic hanging on it, right? It wasn't really a banana tree. There's no bananas, nothing you could eat, no real fruit. And as I read Amos, as we've been going through Amos over the last several weeks, as I read through it on a whole, I... I see like a really big emphasis on the relationship between like what's going on at the heart or at the root uh, level and what is kind of the fruit that's hanging on the branches. Like what kind of fruit are we bearing in our lives? There's this connection, this emphasis on the connection between the root in our life and the behavior and the fruit we are bearing. And throughout the series, we've seen that the people of Israel are being judged by God because of this very thing. They, they may do the things that they're supposed to do, sort of, right? And that they, they bring their sacrifices, they bring their offerings, they come and they sing the songs, they give what they're supposed to give in the temples, and they pray their prayers, uh, and they're there when they're supposed to be there. Although most of the things that they're doing, even in their formal worship, 
are still pretty off and not aligned with, with God's actual instructions on how to do it. But still, to some extent, they are going through some motions. But essentially, they're just tying plastic bananas on the tree and calling it a day, right? Because how they really view God and what their relationship is really like with him at like a heart level is revealed not in just those like religious traditions and and rituals. It's revealed in their actions that are beyond their religious traditions and rituals. It's revealed in their everyday behaviors and in their everyday life. And so my question then for us this morning is, are we identifiable as Christ followers? Does the fruit of our lives match the root that we claim to come from? Or are we like a, I mean, are we a banana tree that's actually bearing bananas, or are we just tying some plastic fruit to the branches? That's the question I want us to ask this morning. So I'm going to read, we're going to read, uh, we're picking up in Amos uh, chapter 8. Amos is one of the minor prophets. It's a very small book. Uh, you'll find it somewhere in the, a bunch of uh, very small books right before the New Testament, somewhere after Psalms. But you can pick up with us there. It's Amos chapter 8. I'm just going to read the chapter for us. It says this. It says, This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chafe of the wheat the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob surely I will never forget any of their deeds shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. More good news from Amos. Chapter 8 begins with this last of four 
visions, right? Reggie covered the other three visions last week, and, and this one sort of follows up the vision of the plumb line that was found in, in chapter 7, and it echoes, it kind of echoes it, really. The plumb line revealed the reality that God's people uh, were not upright, and they were not righteous according to God's covenant with them. The fruit of their lives did not line up with a heart that shared the heart of God. Have you ever reached for like a piece of fruit in a fruit bowl and found out that it's rotten? You know, like like a really nice, big, uh, pretty peach is sitting in a bowl just asking you to take it. But when you reach for it and you grab it, your finger kind of sinks in the back of it. Right? And you lift it up and there's like some juice in the bottom of the bowl. It's kind of gross, right? The vision of the summer fruit basket reveals the truth that they aren't what they think they are. The fruit isn't ripe like they think. It's rotten. And there's this play on words in these first couple of verses in the Hebrew language. The word for this like basket of summer fruit that Amos sees in the vision and the word that God uses to reveal that the end has come. They actually sound similar, and there's a play on words. And the play on words emphasizes like the ultimate meaning here, that the fruit that his people are bearing is not the ripe and delicious fruit that would cause others to taste and see that the Lord is good. No, it, you think it is. You think it's good. You think it's ripe and ready, but no, it's bitter, and it's spoiled, and it's rotten, and it's this fruit that brings his people to their end. Then Amos, in verse, uh, verses 4 through 6, he kind of just starts listing exactly what type of fruit is in the basket. This is what's really being presented to God by his people. Not, it's not the stuff that they're presenting in the temple. It's not just their rituals and their offerings and their sacrifices and their, their religious duties and stuff that they're doing. What's really being presented to God is these things here in verses 4 through 6. And it's all the evidence needed to demonstrate the true identity of the Israelites. Listen, they trample the needy. And we've talked about this all throughout Amos. This just keeps coming up. They trample the needy. They bring the poor of the land to an end. They sell the, the, the scrapings, basically, of wheat, and they bundle it with the, in their bundles, and they cheat those who are buying. They fix the scales so that they can cheat the poor, effectively draining the poor of what little they have. And they sell the, they sell the poor for silver. They sell their people. They sell the poor for silver. They buy the needy for a pair of sandals, it says. So think about this. Like if it is, and we talk about this a lot, if it's the purpose of God's people to make God known to the nations, then this nation's God doesn't look kind. He doesn't look compassionate. He doesn't look gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love, especially to the poor and to the needy. He either looks oppressive himself or he doesn't seem able to administer justice for the oppressed. Either way, it's not a good picture of God. Throughout Amos, we've heard this time and time again. One of the major things condemning the people of God, condemning the Israelites, is their treatment of the poor and the needy and the marginalized among them. They are unjust and oppressive instead of being loving and hospitable. 
And throughout the Bible, it's not just here, throughout the Bible, God seems to like really care specifically about the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan. His people, like this people of Israel, the people that are being talked to here in Amos, they were the lonely. They were the sojourner. They were the enslaved. They were the oppressed, the poor. They were the needy. And God dealt kindly with them. This is their story. And then he delivered them from Egypt. He gave them a home and he gave them a land that they did not cultivate. He gave them cities that they did not build. And he instructed Israel then to deal kindly in turn to the lonely and to the oppressed and to the poor and to the sojourner. You know, Reggie referenced Matthew 25 last week where Jesus speaks of those he will save from judgment. And he says this in Matthew 25, 35 through 36. Jesus says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Listen. God makes a big deal of how his people treat the poor, how they treat the needy, the stranger, the sick, the prisoner, the lonely, the widow, the orphan, and basically all those in the margins. He makes a big deal about it from Old Testament to New, everywhere, all throughout. And we, I think we often, I know I do, I, we often trivialize his, his instructions concerning them. Like making our own concerns, like the things we think are important, of greater importance than the things he talks about being important in the Bible and in the scripture. But God makes a deal, big deal about it because it, it's, it's in these things that his character shines the brightest. Right? It's like a cold glass of water after working in the lawn, on the lawn in the middle of a hot summer day. A cold glass of water at that point is way better than just a cold glass of water any other time, right? And so it is with the love of God, right? It's seen most fully when it's shown to those who are unloved. His love is seen most fully when, his, when, it, when it's shown to those who are unloved. And, and his mercy is best understood when it's shown to those who are hopeless and who have made themselves that way. So Israel should, as God's people, Israel should be making God known through their heart for the marginalized, because that's how God is made known, and that's how he was made known to them. But we know Israel has failed to recognize who God really is, what he's really like, and what he's really about. So the fruit that they bear is rotten. It's all born in, in a greed and in selfishness and other sin. And God, throughout Amos, as we've just kind of harped on it for weeks, is promising that because of this, because of the fruit that they are bearing, he will bring them to their end. Check this out. Let's listen again in, in chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. 
Look, God's judgment on Israel means that he is not going to restore them. He's not going to forgive them. He's not going to forget. He's not going to bless them with his presence. That might be hard to hear. That's not something we, we hear a lot in church, right? That might be hard to hear, but I think we got to listen up because there's this truth that, that we here at Redemption Church, that Christians and the Big C Church, we are the people of God. Right? Today, we are the people of God, meant to demonstrate who God is to the world around us. But that's the very thing that was taken away from Israel, their identity as the people of God. And their identity, which was being the people of God, was found in their living by his word and by his covenant with them. And God says here in Amos that that there will come a time when they will starve to hear the word of the Lord. They will seek his word everywhere, but they won't find it. It's like he sustained them for long enough. And they could have taken his word in at any point. They could have listened to his instructions. They could have followed him at any time, knowing that his word brings life and good to all who devour it, right? Knowing that it's through his word that they are who they are even, but they haven't. They've tried to fill themselves up with material things, with power and with control, and they've stomped on and oppressed others in order to gain those things. They've not listened to what God says about what God's priorities are. Instead, they've just tried hanging any old plastic fruit on a tree. They've done whatever they decided was the priority. They've done whatever they decided was good enough. And they've continued to follow, really, the passions of their own sinful hearts over the word of God. And basically, they've been given over to become exactly what they've chosen to eat. That's what we see in Amos. And truthfully, like truthfully, we are the same. We're the same. There's no call or challenge I can make today for you just to, like, go put the right fruit on the branches and just go do the thing and just, you can't just go tie it on the branch. It's not just a, today won't just be a call to to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, which says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not a call to just go put those things on because you can't just grow those things. They are the fruit of the Spirit. Unless He's growing them up in and out of you and in and out of us, then we will not bear that fruit. If that's not what's at the root of us, then we won't bear that fruit. We can't just tie them on the branches. It has to grow from within us. We aren't, we're not better than Israel. We're not. But check this out. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, 
It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Listen, this is, this is good news for us. Because what's, what's expected of us in many ways is no different than what was expected of Israel. We are the people of God, meant to demonstrate to the world who God is and what he's like and what he's done. But the good news is that what they couldn't do on their own, Jesus has done and has empowered us to do by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? He has chosen, as we just see here in that temptation, he has chosen to feast on the word of God over the things of this world. Jesus decided to live life based on God's covenant with his people. Jesus trusted his father so much that he actually died trusting God's word to provide true and abundant life. And Jesus conquered the grave, and he rose again, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and Jesus is king. And he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in and among us so that the fruit of the Spirit could come bursting forth from the root of us. And here's the good news. Our identity as the people of God is rooted in his work, not our own. So that the world can taste and see that the Lord is good as they see the fruit of our lives. So the question is, though, what fruit are we bearing, specifically at Redemption Church? What fruit are you bearing are we seeing a growth that comes from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit? Like who or what has our hearts? What's at the root of our hearts? Is there anything that's taking place of Jesus? Is there anything that we're actually finding more satisfying or that we're chasing harder than Jesus? Who's greater than our God in your heart? What could sway our heart's affections more than Jesus. It's all about who or what has our heart. And, and here's the deal. I think that we think it's a big secret and that we're pretty good at hiding stuff, but we're not. It's not as big of a secret as any of us think. Everybody can tell what has our heart. They can all tell. We can all tell of each other by our works and by our behaviors. You can tell what I worship by how, we treat, by how I treat others. You can tell, and I can tell, who you worship by how you give yourself away. But we, like Israel, are just often blind to the connection between what we see on the branches of our life, the fruit on, on the branches and our behaviors. We're blind to the connection between that and who and what has our heart. And so because of that, I just, I've been wanting to get here through the whole book of Amos, but Amos is really hard. And um, there's a lot of hard stuff to deal with, but I just want us to switch gears for a minute. We're going to switch gears, and we're going to kind of go get very practical just for a few minutes. This is, this is what I want you to do. This is going to be the challenge, I guess, for the day. This is the takeaway. Just about every week, you can uh, find like a set of discussion questions in the bulletin. So if you pick a bulletin up uh, when you come in the door or when you leave, uh, and then you Maybe you throw it on the chair or something like that when you leave. But actually, at the bottom of the bulletin, 
um, there's usually about four questions. Uh, and, they're, and they're usually different each week. But oftentimes we put ver four very basic questions on that slip of paper. Other times we try to wrap a little context around them, but they're still usually just those four basic questions in some form or fashion. And this is kind of what they are. They're in your bulletin today. If you grabbed one, great. If not, no worries. Uh, you can get one and, and you're going to get the questions. It's not a big deal. The questions go like this. Number one is, who is God? Usually we're going to put this on a bulletin and we're going to wrap it in some sort of context, right? Like asking how, how we see who God is in the actual passage that we're reading for the week. Second question will be something like, what has God done? This is the, I think this is best worked out as we see how the passage points to Jesus, right? We see the person and work of Jesus. What has God done? The third question is, who am I in light of God's work? So because of who God is and what he's done through Christ, then we're asking, who does that make me? And this is where we start to see how the person, person and work of Jesus is good news for us, for each one of us. And then the fourth question you'll usually find in there is, how should I live in light of who I am? Meaning, how does the good news of my, my identity in Christ inform how I live and how I behave and what I do, right? So this week, I put a bunch of stuff in your chairs, uh, kind of every other chair. Uh, so maybe you can find one. There's a little slip of paper there, and that's for you to take. Um, but it's a little worksheet. And it uses those basic questions to help us practice because we remember just just track with me for a minute the idea is that we are bad at connecting the fruit and the root we're, we're blind to how those things are connected often and so this is for practice this is to help us practice tracing the fruit of our lives to the root of our worship and back again and it's because I think this is so helpful to us if we will learn to ask these questions together and to work through these processes of connecting our behaviors to the heart of our worship and this is simple to use. So we're just going to quickly, we're just going to use uh, some, of the Israel, some of Israel's behavior toward the needy and trace it to their heart of worship and their true identity. So just track with me if you can, and we're going to go through this chart. There's two charts on that thing, on this handout. One right here on the right. Is that right? Left? Whatever. Right? There's two charts. So look at the first one, and it starts with this, right? Look at the first chart. This helps us see what we're actually believing at a heart level. It reveals what our practices show about our belief, right? And the first question is, what am I doing or experiencing right now? And so let's just take from Amos 8, let's use some of Israel's behavior, and we'll go with that. So say I'm messing with the balances on my scales so that I can profit a little bit, a little bit more off of what I sell to the hungry today. That's what I'm doing right now. Maybe they wouldn't put it so you know, bluntly, but that's what they're doing. I'm, 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 I'm fixing the balances on my scales so I can make a little bit mo more money off of the hungry who I'm selling food to, to today. Okay, then the second question. Okay, in light of what I'm doing, what does that say about what I believe about myself? Maybe, maybe I believe that I'm a little bit clever, right? And that I, and maybe I believe that I have to do what I have to do. Right? I have to provide for myself. I maybe I have to provide for my family. I have to get mine. I have to gain all that I can. Right? I have the right to make as much money as I, as I can. And anybody who gets ripped off because of it, well, that's their problem. And they should probably be as clever as I am. So 
Also, I'm a little bit better than they are. Right? Okay, third question. What, what do I believe God is doing or has done? We probably don't like to admit it, but we need to get to this question because usually in our sin, uh, we're, we're not really thinking of him much at all. Right? So you might say, I'm not, I'm not really thinking much at all of God, but I guess he's just looking to make sure he gets some, of, get some gift from me, that he gets his portion. I mean, certainly God's cool with me doing what I'm doing. I'm just trying to provide for my family. And they could do the th- same thing. They can figure it out for themselves. So I think that God is, I mean, he's watching, but he's not so much watching in my business as much as he's watching, like, when I go to church and the things that I'm supposed to do with that compartment of my life. So what's God doing or what he's done? He's watching to make sure that he gets his. Right? All right, last question. What do I think God is like? Ultimately, I don't think God is much different than me. He's out for himself. He's out to get what he needs, what he wants. Out for himself. Okay, that's the first part. Now you take take that and we go to the second chart. And here we're going to allow... God's word to inform our beliefs. We've just kind of seen what we believe, really, at a heart level. Now let's talk about God's word and how it informs it. You just really work them backwards is all we do. So number one is who is God really? According to scripture, who is God really? Well, that first one we said that he wasn't really much different than us, that he's not much different than me, that he's out for himself. But But think about this. God's word says he created me and that he created everything else out of nothing, right? So at the very least, we're not on the same level. He made me. He made everything. So he is greater than me. We at least got that. Who is God really? He's greater than me. What has God done? Well, I I said he's just been looking out to make sure he gets what he's required from me. He's just looking out to get his gift. Uh, He's just waiting in the temple, I guess, to get what we got. But the scripture says that he actually delivered my people from Egypt, right? He delivered us out of slavery. He gave us a land for which we did not work. He gave us cities which we did not build. He made a people who were not a people. He provided manna in the desert. And if this is us on this side of the cross, we can actually say, That God became man and he lived and he died for us to deliver us from our slavery to sin. He's lavished us with forgiveness and mercy that he died to do that for us, to do that for us. And he has humbled himself and he has made a way for us to be with him. So maybe he isn't only concerned about the gifts that we give him. Maybe he's the greatest giver of all. And maybe he gives the best gifts. Okay. We're starting to confess some things from Scripture about who God really is. Number three, who am I in light of God's work, in light of what he has done? Well, I'm a part of a people of God who are provided for at every occasion. Like we just talked about. We were delivered. We were given manna. We were given cities. We were given land. And for us as an adopted child of God, I'm heirs with Christ. That's what the scripture says. I'm heirs with Christ, meaning like I'm tapped into the king's riches. He owns everything and he's blessed us with every spiritual gift. So actually I'm loved, I'm blessed, and I'm rich beyond measure, according to scripture. And the last question, how should I live in light of who I am? 
Well, maybe I can afford to run my business fairly. I can afford to run my business fairly, and actually I can afford to give generously to those in need because God has proven to be a faithful provider, right? I can't outgive God. He's proven that. So I can afford to run my business fairly, and I can afford to be generous. Do you see how connecting the fruit of behavior to the root of our worship and identity can help us to see when and where we are not believing the truth of Scripture? When and where we are choosing bread over the word of life, which is going to lead to our starving. I just give this to you. I know that's very practical stuff, but I just really want to encourage you to work this out. Like, take it home. Work it out with your spouse. Work it out with your kids. Work it out with your DNA groups. Work it out in your MCs. Practice these questions. They're in our bulletin every week. Get to know how to interact with Scripture this way. Practice this. Use the questions. Start helping one another connect the fruit that's on the branch to the realities of the worship of your heart and to the realities of what you believe about your identity in Christ. Listen, None of this is about trying to gain our own righteousness. It's not, about, it's not about gaining our own righteousness. It's about seeing that we have been saved for the purpose of making God known and making his character known to the nations by being the body of Christ at Redemption Church. The elders are, are reading through a book right now. It's called The Gospel Comes with the House Key. It's by author Rosa, uh, Rosaria Butterfield. I was really convicted when I read these words the other night. Our own conduct condemns our witness to this world. Shame on us. That's short. Our own conduct condemns our witness to this world. Shame on us. But that's the stuff right there. Like the fruit that we bear, the world sees it. Everybody on the block sees it. It just doesn't always say that much about our God that's favorable or worth listening to. Often the church's behavior makes our witness incomprehensible to the world. Like our lack of care for the poor, our lack of care for the environment, our hatred for anybody who doesn't look like as we deem that they should look or vote the way we deem that they should vote. It all just, that all just tastes bitter to the world. And especially to those that we directly hurt and oppress. And the answer isn't to go tie some more like plastic fruit on the tree, like pretending to care with some grand gesture that ultimately just benefits us that we could conjure up. We just make ourselves a bigger laughing stock. No, the answer, the answer is to firmly root ourselves in Christ, seeking him first and finding that it is in and through the person and work of Jesus that the Holy Spirit grows something beautiful up and out of us. The answer is in reminding one another and proclaiming to one another who God really is, what he has really done, what that makes us. We have to keep reminding each other and proclaiming it to one another. The only way to restore our witness is to lay ourselves bare before Jesus and each other and let the Spirit do a work in our heart. One of my favorite poems is entitled, This is Just to Say. 
and it reads like this. As I have eaten the plums which were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious, so sweet and so cold. Some of you know it. I love this poem for a number of reasons. I, I don't even know that I can pin down all the reasons. I'm not going to go into all that right now, but I think at the most basic level, the reason I love this poem is because it reminds me of when I was a kid reaching into the bottom drawer of my grandma's refrigerator and grabbing an ice-cold plum out of a brown paper sack that she kept it in. And I'd squeeze it a little bit to make sure it's a little bit soft. The hard ones were always really sour, right? Squeeze it a little bit, pull it out, make sure it's ripe, and then take big bites of like a deliciously sweet, refreshing fruit. And then being unable to resist, because those things are small, I'd have to grab a couple more before heading out into the Arizona summer. Basically, the poem just makes me want a really good plum <laughs> to the point like I can actually taste it. My mouth's watering a little bit right now. And I want us to be such a poem. I want us to have this effect on each other and on others. Like, I don't want us to be found to be a rotten basket of fruit. I don't want us to hang plastic on a dead tree either. I want us to bear fruit that is cold and sweet and alluring and irresistible and delicious. I want love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want it to drip down and bend the branches of Redemption Church so that everybody sees what Jesus is really like. And I want them to find them to be irresistible and so good and satisfying to their soul. So are we identifiable as the people of God? Do we represent Jesus well? Can the city look at Redemption Church and see clearly who God is and what he's like? Can your neighbor look at your life and see clearly who God is and what he's done? Ultimately, are we helping people to taste and see that the Lord is good? We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week. And we'll do a few things. This is a time, though, for you to begin to respond to this, to begin to ask the questions of what's the fruit in my life and what's it pointing to at the root? Is it God? Is it making him known? Am I even seeing who God is and what he's really like because of the fruit that's being born out of my life? It's time to reflect and respond and pray. And the band's going to come up and they're going to lead us more in worship through music and song. We're going to sing together and we're going to worship God uh, together. And you can also There'll be a time for giving your tithes and offerings. There's a basket in the back. If you don't have a check or cash and you give other ways, there's instructions for that there too. That's another way that we can respond to him and worship him is through that discipline. And then each week at Redemption Church, we come and we take communion. We take the Lord's Supper and we come down each one of these side aisles. Someone will be here to serve you and you'll take the bread, which is the body of Christ, and you'll dip it in the uh, wine or the juice, which represents the blood of Christ. And when you come and do this, we are, we are really doing two things. We're remembering Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that through him we see what God is really like. 
and we're proclaiming the good news to one another in our action so that we are all remembering. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we'd invite you to come and take with us and remember your Savior and proclaim him to one another. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move into that time. Our Father, I thank you again for this time. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you. I thank you that you've made a way for us to be the people you want us to be, and you've done that through your son, Jesus Christ. May we rest in that. May we not leave with like a big heavy burden that says, yeah, I'm not, I'm not measuring up, I'm not God, and I don't make God known, but would we, would we walk away saying, Jesus makes God known to me. I can submit all of life to him. And as we do that, would your Holy Spirit then grow the fruit of the Spirit out through us? That we would look more and more like Jesus in our community. Like may this church look like the body of Christ to our, our city. Lord, I pray that you would do that for your glory, for our joy, and for the spread of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.